Good evening. I'm Julie Lorenz. As Dion said, I'm on staff here at Pathfinder Church. I've been a part of this church since um, 1994, very long time. Um, it's so nice to see so many of you that I do know and I have known for a long time. About 20 years ago, um, I was a young mom. Doesn't seem that long ago, but it was. I was uh, working full-time, running my parents' business. Um, I had a daughter who was a little, oh, not quite two, and uh, I got to take her to work with me every day. But during that time, I started to feel really pulled. I, uh, I felt just this calling to be at home, to focus more on her, and to be more of a wife and mother at home, and um, just running a retail business is, is hard to do both. So I talked to my husband, and we decided that it was probably time. It was time to um, maybe add another child to our family and, and give up the business. So my parents retired. They sold the business. I let go of what I thought had always been my lifelong dream to own that family business. It was, a, it was an amazing transition, um, first to, to give up your dream, um, but also, I had also given up a lot of my relationships. A lot of those were formed at work. And it was kind of isolating being at home, but I was doing what I wanted to do. And so I was happy, and it didn't take long at all to get pregnant, and so I'm going to focus on that and focus on Katie. But nine weeks into that, we had a miscarriage. Not much happened. They tell you all the time, these things happen, you're young, you'll have more kids, you have Katie. Almost, almost this implication that you're ungrateful for what you do have. And then they tell you, you know, just, just don't think too much about it, but kind of those unspoken words are, you should be okay, even though I wasn't. But it didn't take long. I just focused on getting healthy and pregnant again, and it didn't take long at all. At first, I was really terrified. But I got to nine weeks, and I started to feel better. Got to 12 weeks. You get through that first trimester, and you start to feel comfortable, like things are fine. So we began to relax. We began to get excited. And near the end of my second trimester, we had a regular ultrasound scheduled, and it was going to be fun. Katie was coming with us. Keith was meeting us at the hospital. And we were going to find out if we were having a boy or a girl. I remember driving there and singing songs with Katie and thinking about how, like, from this moment on, my life's going to be different. I'm going to know if I'm going to have two girls or if I'm going to have a girl and a boy, and we're going to find out what life's going to look like. <sighs> I did not notice the silence in the room when I laid there on that table. My husband did. There's also some unusual activity of that ultrasound tech. I didn't notice that either. I was busy showing Katie what I understood of the ultrasound of what the baby was, and she said it looked like the baby was swimming. But then all of a sudden, a doctor replaced that text and started doing all the same thing the text had already done. And so I finally just asked her, almost really just expecting some reassurance, I said, is the baby okay? And she turned to me and said, I'm sorry, it appears your baby has died. That's not the best way to deliver that, but I don't know that there is a good way to deliver that. And what happened next was just a blur. I was whisked to my doctor's office, and Katie was at a nurse's station giving highlighters and copier paper to keep her busy. And we waited for my doctor to arrive to tell us what would be next. 
It turns out what was next is all the things that happen when you have a baby, all the things that are hard and scary and challenging and hurt, but they're things you do because when you get done, you have a baby. But at the end, I didn't have anything. Turns out there's actually a name for it. I'd never heard of it. It's called empty arm syndrome. It's this feeling when your mind and your body and your hormones and your memories all know you had a baby, but you have nothing to hold in your arms. During that time, my family took very good care of me. My sisters were very supportive. Keith, my husband, was so supportive. I had so many people taking care of me, but it didn't matter. There was nothing I could do to feel better. During all this time, there were a lot of tests and consultations and a lot of reasons looking for why, if we could just figure out why. But I knew in my heart that medically, if you find out a why, you still don't know your why. So somehow, we summoned up the courage to try it again. I thought, if this time we're successful, this will fill the hole. And nine weeks later, another miscarriage. At this point, I had spiraled into a depression. Just going about my day and doing those things that, that I wanted to do, the things that I wanted to quit my job to do, to take care of my daughter, to take care of my husband, to, to build a home, to do all those things. I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the strength. I, I don't know what I needed, but I didn't have it to do it. And I went through the motions. After a while, my husband said, you know, I think we ought to go to church. And we'd been coming here off and on. It's not something we did with regularity or intentionality, though. It was something we did once in a while. It's a funny thing when you come to church once in a while. You always hear Jesus. You always hear grace. You always hear love. But what you miss is the, those lessons you learn about living life. When you put what you heard last week with this week, with next week together, and then you find out about all those ways that Jesus is walking with you, and you, you, you miss that consistency. So we started doing that, and I started feeling better. And so one time we came and they said, they're having VBS. And I thought, that's it. That's what I need. I need a break. So I'll put Katie in VBS, and I'll go home, and I can get my life together. Actually, I just went home and laid in bed all morning. The only break I got from feeling bad about myself was when someone else was taking care of her. But one day I picked her up and I got a flyer about joining a mops group. And I thought, that's it. That's what I need. I need to meet some people. So I went to a meeting. I remember this meeting like it's yesterday. I can describe to you every detail of the room. I'll save you that part. <laughs> but in this room was a group of women that were go-getters like you could not believe. There were two women that were arguing over who was going to be the leader of this group. Fortunately, that had already been predetermined, so that was settled. The woman to my right said, I'll take finance. I thought, that woman is literally crazy. And she turned to me and said, I had to say that before someone else got it. Well, she didn't have to race me to it. But as it turns out, that woman's been my best friend for more than 20 years now. 
But as I looked around that room and all these women were declaring with such confidence all the way that they could help form this group, I stared at the job descriptions wondering how I could get out of this room. How could I avoid the humiliation of admitting that I was not capable of doing anything? So I stared down at those job descriptions and I looked down and I saw something called publicity and I thought, oh, I could do that. I could call the church office. I could make sure they make an announcement about this great new group, whatever it is, and put it in the church bulletin and that would be my job. So for some reason I said, I'll do publicity. And I thought, okay, this is going to be over soon. And then we got to Annette. I will never forget Annette as long as I live. As soon as I said publicity, we turned to Annette, and Annette says, oh, I'm sorry, I did not realize what this was. I thought this was a group for mothers of preschoolers. I didn't realize you wanted people to help. I can't do that. And I thought, there's Annette. She's got my out, and now I am the publicity director of a group that I don't even know what they do. (laughs) Annette doesn't go here anymore, so I feel okay telling you about that. But if I could have killed Annette with my eyes, I would have done it right in that moment. I went home. I was absolutely bewildered. I was bewildered. Why in the world did I agree to do this? And how was I going to figure out how to do it? It turns out they had a manual. And that's what I do when I, uh, when I don't know how to do something. I read the manual. I find the instructions. So I sit down and I read this manual And they start talking about mops and about how God uses broken people to impact other people's lives. I realized when I looked at that, that's exactly what I was. I was broken. And then I saw these words from Psalms. I've lost my words now. I don't know where they are. But the word said, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. And I realized in that moment that if God wanted broken people, he would not despise me. He didn't care that I didn't have the ability to put dinner on the table. And that he actually could use broken people for his purposes. So as this thought is formulating in my head, this almost hope is growing, that there's hope for me, the dryer buzzes, and I head down to the basement, and there was the mountain of laundry that was always there. I felt like I washed the top of the laundry, but we never ever got to the bottom. Who knows what color the basement floor was? And I saw that mountain, that thing that I used to just despise, and I dropped to my knees in the middle of that laundry, and I prayed. And often in life, when we pray, you know, we we pray the way they, they teach in, you know, you fold your heads and you bow your head, but this was not one of those prayers. This was a prayer that I literally prayed with a fist in the air. It was almost, I dared God to do something with me. And I said to him, God, if you want broken people, and I don't know why you do, I'm as broken as a person could be. So sign me up. I stood up from that pile of laundry. I was a thousand pounds lighter 
The weight of the world was off of my shoulders in a feeling like I had never felt in my life. I had always known Jesus since I was a little girl. He had my destiny. He had my salvation. I was in his hands, but I had kept him at arm's length. He didn't have anything to do with my life. And so I went upstairs and I finished the manual and I found the most beautiful words I think I've ever seen in scripture that have come like air to me. It was John 10.10. It said, the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come so that you will have life and life to the full. And I realized that's what the thief had done. My babies were gone, but my life was still here and I was letting him have it. And I said, no more. My life is in Jesus' hands. And so I kept that volunteer job. I kept that job and I used my pain, sometimes directly, sometimes there were other women who had my exact story. Sometimes it was someone else who'd just been through pain, but I knew what that felt like and I knew where relief could come from. So I went from one job to the next. I had uh, went from publicity to lots of jobs and mops, ultimately to leadership, which left me to lead more things. And the more I did, the more I recognized that when you serve God, you see God at work in your life. You know what you're capable of. You know what your abilities are. You know how big the tasks are. So you know when you see God at work because he's in the details. He's making things work. He's tying things up. And he's got you. Serving him became the way I found purpose and meaning again in my life. I'm happy to tell you that a year after that first meeting with those women, my daughter Grace Julia was born. And Grace is literally named Grace because she is a gift from God. But it's also because of the gift of God that he put in my life, his constant presence in my life. And she's a reminder of that. I don't know that I would have ever had the courage to sign up for what I have experienced. But I am so grateful that my life is not what it was. I'm so grateful that my faith is not what it was. And I'm so grateful for the journey that he has put me on. Thank you, Julie. Julie does not public speak for a living, although you can't tell um, based on, on that. So uh, thanks for being courageous enough to share something like that. Um, I, I don't know what you heard in uh, Julie's story, in that story of her journey. Um, I heard a few things. I was reminded as she shared that, you know, the saying, begin with the end in mind, and that's a pretty good strategy in a lot of things of, in life. Um, faith it can work that way too, begin with the end in mind, but I, I've found also in my journey of truth that um, sometimes it's just about showing up. And my journey with God has led me to places, to ends that I would never would have had in mind 
um, that I dared not to dream of, that I couldn't believe to be possible, that I thought would be, you know, some sort of hell or torture, and they weren't, or they're far beyond my expectations. And, and so I was just reminded, as Julie shared, that um, just the power of showing up, you know, to church on Sundays and showing up to the places where God is and just um, letting him do his work in your life without, without preconceived ideas of what you want him to do or um, you're trying to confine him to some kind of work. I, that's one of the things I heard. Um, the other thing I heard was really, I think, the heart of uh, what she shared, and that is that too many of us, I think, wait around to be whole for, for some sense of wholeness or some sense that we're okay enough or that we're, we're strong enough or we're mature enough. Um, too many of us wait around to be whole before we think God can use us. Right? And yet the, the truth of God's work is he calls the broken. And actually in letting God use you, and just surrendering even in your brokenness. That's actually how God begins to make you whole. Um, when you see, and I mean, this is the, this is the story of my life. Um, I think it's probably the story of a lot of our lives. When you see God take you in your brokenness, in your hurt, in your pain, in your imperfections, in your, you know, all your character flaws, and, and, and when you watch how God can take that and you just offer it to him and you think, man, that's, that's nothing. That's, what, what can you do with this God? You know, I defy you. Find a way to use this. Uh, and when you watch God use it and he always finds a way to use it, suddenly it takes away the power of your brokenness. It starts to diminish all of your insecurities and all the things you're hung up on because you realize that it's truly not about what I can do, but it's about the power of Christ that is at work in me and, 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 and you find wholeness. In a minute, I'm going to give you time to um, take that card and this is Corey or volunteers where I need you to, um, if you need one of these in just a second, raise your hand. They're going to grab those to make sure they have them ready for you. And you can grab a pen. There should be some in the racks. Um, in a moment, I, I just want you to reflect on your own journey. Um, maybe some of the things that Julie shared, maybe some of the things that I shared triggered things for you. And it's kind of good to sometimes process or write them out. Or just maybe it's right where you are right now. Um, and maybe you're in a season where you feel so broken and you wonder, God, how, how, how? Or you're waiting around to, to get to some next plateau or some next you know, level of growth before um, you think your, your life can really be useful or you can be helpful. Um, maybe that's something that you're dealing with right now. And, and tonight, um, in this page or in your journal, you can just, I encourage you just to begin ponder, God, what would it look like if I offered you what I have, where I am right now? Could you make me whole? With a word, could you begin to do something in my life? Maybe there's something entirely different going on in your life. Maybe it has nothing to do with this theme that we're sharing tonight. Um, but here's what I can tell you. God is at work. He's leading you somewhere. Just the fact that you showed up here tonight means that you are on a journey with Jesus. And so he's, he's taking you somewhere. He's doing something in your life. Don't, don't scorn Whatever it is, don't, don't think it too small or insignificant. 
And so maybe tonight you're not sure, but, but maybe you can just begin to write, God, maybe you are, or maybe you can start to speculate, Jesus, I'm not sure where you're going, but perhaps, or maybe it's just a simple prayer that you journal down, um, Jesus, I, I don't know, but I, I want to I wanna see more clearly what you're doing in me, or maybe it's just a prayer of surrender to say, Jesus, I don't know, and maybe I'll never know, but what I have, I offer to you and have your way. So um, basically you can use any of those prompts or you can do whatever you want other than talk (laughs) or leave. Um, It's just a couple of minutes, but I encourage you to just think for a minute and, and use this time to ponder what God might be doing in your journey. It's a gift to have some quiet, some space. Life doesn't give you this much. So I'm going to encourage you to take this gift.